right, our reading is going to be from <laughs> Hebrews 11, uh, the first verse to the second verse, and then the 23rd to the 29th verse. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He preserved, persevered because he saw in him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. So as we continue our series on faith, in Hebrews chapter 11, we come to one of the most well-known characters in the Old Testament, certainly the first five books of the Old Testament, and that's Moses. And as in the rest of the examples that the writer of Hebrews gives to us, his life is very condensed there in Hebrews. Now, we're learning a lot about faith, particularly um, about Old Testament theology, which is that righteousness comes by faith. Salvation comes by faith. In every case that we've looked at so far here in Hebrews, we've seen that all these men had a right relationship with God through faith. Faith defined their relationship. And now we leave the book of Genesis behind, all the characters that we've been dealing with thus far from Genesis, and we move into Exodus. And the book of Exodus tells us the story of Moses. Actually, goes, Moses' story goes from Exodus all the way through the end of Deuteronomy. He is the author, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And these five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch, the Law. Uh, That's what the Pentateuch means. Now, the assumption of the Jews would be that Moses would be the epitome. He would be the model of legalism. In fact, the law was uh, even called the Mosaic Law, the Law of Moses. Kind of a misnomer because Moses was the one that was receiving it and writing it, but God was giving it to him. So the Jews would assume that if anybody was a model of legalism, it had to be Moses. But the amazing thing is, as we dig deeper into the life of Moses, we find that Moses operated in the spiritual realm not by law, but by faith. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is pointing out to us. That's why it's so important to get across to his readers and to us um, eventually, that through the life of Moses, the things that he did, the choices that he made, were based on faith. In fact, verse 20, in verse 25, um, the, there's a phrase that says, he chose. So he was making decisions. So this morning, I want us to look at Moses' Moses's life in the light of the decisions he made by faith. And how we too, 
if we are living a life of faith, are to make all of our decisions by faith in God. Because if you think about it, life is a series of decisions that we make. We either make good choices or bad choices. A series of decisions. Um, They're marked by either making that right choice or wrong choice. The ultimate choice that God is most concerned about, of course, is our choice for His Son, Jesus Christ. Every circumstance in life is a once in a lifetime opportunity to make the right choice. Uh, Napoleon apparently used to say that in every battle, there is a 10 or 15 minute period of time in which the issue of the battle is settled. To gain this is victory. To lose it is defeat. In in Deuteronomy chapter 30, Scripture says, This day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, choose life, so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to His voice, and hold fast to Him, for the Lord is your life. Jesus, of course, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only choice for life is Jesus. Now, you remember in Joshua chapter 24, uh, when he called the Israelites to make a choice. You remember that? Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We cannot waffle. When we waffle, we're making a choice. Over in 1 Kings chapter 18, remember the situation up in Mount Carmel, Elijah is there, and he went before the people um, with the altar and the sacrifices and the fire coming down. He went before the people and says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. They didn't make a decision, but by not making a decision, they were making a decision. That's exactly what Jesus was saying in John chapter 3, verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed. They have not made a decision. They have not made a choice. They have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Not making a choice is making a choice against Jesus. So, we take a look at Moses here, and we see his faith demonstrated in his decisions, the decisions that related to things he rejected and the things that he accepted. Both are equally important. So let's take a look, first of all, at what he rejected. What does true faith reject? The first thing that true faith rejects that in the list that the writer to Hebrews is giving us is the world's prestige. Look at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, you basically know the story. By the sovereignty of God, Moses had been put in a basket. Remember when we talk about the ark? Uh, this is the only other instance that same word is used as a small ark um, covered with pitch and set in the Nile River to float, float, uh, to float away. And his mother did that because there had been a decree to kill all the Hebrew children, a decree made by Pharaoh. And so in order to save his life, they simply let him float away. They put him in this basket. Hebrew boys, what did I say? Children, boys, right. 
trusting that God would care for him. So they put him in the basket and sent him down the river. If he had been one of the Hebrew babies killed by Pharaoh, there would never have been this story about Moses. And God's history would never have been what God had ordained it to be. And so because God's always in control, there was no way that he was going to let his chosen one, Moses, die at that point. Now, God providentially ordained the circumstances. His parents, uh, we read a little bit earlier, hid him for a little while, then put him in this basket and placed him on the river to float down, to float down the stream. And it just so happened, coincidentally, by happen chance, right? No, God was at work directing that basket to float right into a bathing party where the daughter of Pharaoh was bathing, and and he became then the son of Pharaoh's daughter. We find the story in Exodus chapter 2. It's it's absolutely fascinating. In verse 5 it says, Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She, the Pharaoh's daughter, saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying And she felt sorry for him. Very important phrase there. She felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Now there was no mystery in the fact that this little baby, this little boy here, was a Jewish boy, was a Hebrew boy, and she should have reported it to her father, the Pharaoh. But she felt sorry for him. And verse 7 says, Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Whose sister? It's Moses' sister. She had to have been moving alongside the river, kind of keeping her eye on her little brother as he's floating down the river, see what's going to happen to him. I would assume she's probably a fairly young girl. We have no idea what age. If, if, if Moses is a little baby, she's probably not uh, too, too grown up. And her boldness is rather amazing as well. As she steps right up, to the Pharaoh's daughter and suggests that she could find a Hebrew woman to nurse the baby. And Pharaoh's daughter thought, well, that's a brilliant idea. And since she couldn't nurse the baby herself, uh, she said, go ahead and uh, do that. You know, it's, it's amazing how God orchestrates everything according to his will, to accomplish his will. So Miriam, Moses' sister, goes and gets mom to, to nurse him. So she not only gets to nurse him and to raise him for a time, she gets paid for it. Verse 10, very interesting. It says, when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. That was a deal. Okay, that was a deal that was made. Now we don't know how long she actually raised him, but it's assumed at least until he was perhaps about 10 or 12 years old. The phrase literally means when he grew up. In those days, one kind of started taking on the man's responsibility when they were 10 or 12 years old. So when he grew up, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter. Now, in, in, if this is that, the case, he, he would have learned God's promises to Abraham. He would have learned of the reiteration of that promise to Isaac and Jacob and to, and to Joseph that we have already dealt with. We, he would have learned the history of Joseph and that Joseph had died in the hope of that promised land, knowing that there would come a time when God would lead his people out of Egypt, uh, lead them to the, promise, to the promised land that God had promised to send a deliverer for Israel and an ultimate deliverer, the ultimate hope of a Messiah. 
All that would have been taught to Moses in those early, early days. He would have learned that the people were hoping for the time um, of their deliverance and their entrance into the promised land. He would have been trained in everything that God had revealed up to that point. And after all that training, she then took him back to be the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. And Scripture says that he became her son, not her baby, not her child, but her son. So he was probably of an age, uh, a little bit of older age there. So she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. It's interesting because the Hebrew word is Moshe, which means to draw out. So just kind of named him for how she received this, uh, this little boy. And verse 11 then says, One day after Moses had grown up, <clears throat> he went out to where his people were and watched them at their hard labor. So, how old was he at that point? Well, we actually find that in Acts. Acts chapter 7, verse 23. Stephen is preaching. This is the time when Stephen is preaching just before he actually gets stoned and uh, killed by by, uh, being stoned. And he's preaching and he sheds some light on this whole situation. He says, when Moses was 40 years old, so there's the age. When he was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites, So 40 years passed between verse 10 and verse 11 in Exodus chapter 2. There were those, those were those years, Stephen tells us again there in in his same message in Acts 7, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. He had done well. So he started out with a foundation in his life with a truth about God the great I am, revealed up to that point, which he received from his godly parents. And then he's learning for the next 30 years all there is about the Egyptian lifestyle. So what's going to take hold in his heart? The choice is going to be critical. Is it going to be the wisdom of the Egyptians he's been learning about for 30 years, or is it going to be the truth of God that he learned in his first approximately 10 years? For those 30 years or so, he had been immersed in the Egyptian life and culture with his formal education in Egypt, the Egyptian wisdom, the Egyptian idolatry. He would have expected to be involved in all this, deeply involved in all of that. Obviously, he was a good student and excelled in it because uh, Stephen said that he was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So he had prestige, he had standing, he had authority. He had respect. But would he have lost what he had as a foundation of his life? The Word of God. So when he reaches 40 years old, he faces this crucial decision point. He has a choice. What's it going to be? Jumping back to our text in Hebrews 11, we find the answer actually to his dilemma in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You see, he rejected the world's prestige. I don't think it was probably an easy choice for him in one sense. If you think about it, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, grandson of Pharaoh, the greatest ruler on the planet of the time. 
the most sophisticated culture, the most sophisticated society, highly advanced. He had the privilege of prestige. He had grown up with them. He understood the honors of being a prince in Egypt. He understood the status and all the royal rigmarole that went with it. He understood the comforts, uh, the servants that, that he would have had, the power that he would have had, the wealth that he would have had, the privilege that he would have had. All of that was at his fingertips. And so this is the biggest decision of his life. Up to that point, should he hold on to the world's prestige or should he forsake it all and choose God? And he knew that God had called him. He had been taught that. Again, over in Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 23, Stephen, still speaking, says, When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them having mistreated by... Excuse me, he saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people, he already had that in mind at that moment, his own people. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue him. So that whole aspect of him being the deliverer was already there in his heart. He already knew that, but they did not. This indicates that Moses already knew. He knew the Israelites were his people. He knew that God had called him. Somewhere along the line, God had clearly disclosed that to him, perhaps even more than what his parents were teaching him. God was kind of saying, Moses, you're in this position you're in because you're going to be my deliverer for my people. I'm going to use you. And so he kills an Egyptian, not the best of choices, I don't think he had to, but he did it to defend his people, and there is where he actually make his decision. He knew what the consequences would be. This is a moment at which he rejected the prestige and the honor and everything that came with being a prince in Egypt. He threw it all away and took his place with his people, the slaves. He rejected the prestige of Egypt that Egypt had to offer, that the world had to offer, because he knew God had a better kingdom. God had a better reward and a higher calling for him. So this decision is an act of faith. Why? Because if you operate by sight, you're going to take what you've got normally, humanly speaking. Okay, It's all there. Power, prestige, money, fame, all of that which was part of being prince of Egypt. But he exchanged what he had for what he didn't have. He exchanged what he could see for what he could not see. Faith is confidence. Remember the beginning of Hebrews 11. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Moses had that assurance. Moses' decision was then an act of faith. He went all the way from the palace to becoming a slave. He identified with the slaves because they were God's people and because God had a plan for them and he knew what that plan was. The plan was for a land and for a promise, going back to the Abrahamic covenant, the Abrahamic uh, promise, for the kingdom and for salvation, everything bound up in that promise to Abraham. God was going to reward his people with things far greater than what Egypt could offer. So Moses trusts God to reward and fulfill and accomplish his purpose in his life. And he makes a choice by faith. He chose God rather than the world, which would include 
as the New Testament says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All that would have been at his disposal. Peter said in Matthew chapter 19, we've forsaken all to follow you. You remember that in Matthew. That's what Moses did. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and what? And then follow me. Have we truly made that choice? This is the first act that we see in expressing faith on Moses' part. Faith is willing to deny self, to deny all that it possesses. It'll step away from everything to do the will of God. Years ago, a man by the name of Baron von Veltz from Austria. He rejected his title in Europe. He rejected his estates. He rejected his wealth because he wanted to be a missionary in British Guyana, where he was eventually buried. And at the time that he renounced his title to become a a missionary, he wrote this, What is it to me to have the title well-born when I am born again in Christ? What is it to me to have the title Lord when I desire to be the servant of Christ? What is it to be called your grace when I have need of God's grace? All these virtues I throw away and lay at the feet of my dear Lord Jesus. Wow. That's what Moses did. And that's what God calls us to do. Secondly, he rejected the world's pleasure. Look at verse 25 back there in Hebrews 11. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Sin can be a lot of fun. Sin can be pleasurable for a moment. But the pleasures are fleeting, and there there are a lot of pleasures available. There were a lot of pleasures available in the Egyptian culture, especially in the position that Moses had. He could have had anything he wanted. He could indulge in any lust of the flesh that he wanted to. He was a prince. Nothing would have been held back for him. Job chapter 20, we read, "The The pleasure of the wicked is brief. The joy of the godless lasts but a moment. Moses chose to reject the pleasures of sin, which are momentary and passing in order to do the work of God because it produces dividends that are going to be everlasting. You know, I'm sure David never thought about what it was going to cost him to lie with Bathsheba. And later, in the darkness of his own guilt, he cried out, My sin, my sin is ever before me. And the pleasure passed so fast, and it led to him becoming a murderer to the death of a child, the rebellion of his son Absalom, and a horrible stain on his life. The passing pleasure of sin. Moses made the right choice. That's the choice that faith makes. It puts its trust in God and says, I am willing to let go of the world. I am willing to let go of the pleasures of sin. In return, we receive the eternal blessings and joy. So Moses gave up all the pleasures of sin to serve God. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 24, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That's a call to all disciples. Jesus wants us to be 100% willing to give up everything if need be and 100% willing to die for him if need be. That's what faith does. 
So Moses consciously decides by faith to turn from the world's prestige, to turn from the world's uh, pleasures. And the third thing that he turned from was the world's treasures. Verse 26, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. The phrase he regarded disgrace for, the Greek here means that he thought about it, he considered it. This was a, a conscious decision. He decided, he made a judgment. This was not a spur-of-the-moment decision or, or a, a rash conclusion that he came to. This was a very carefully thought-out consideration and decision and judgment call that he made. And his conclusion was that disgrace for the sake of Christ was of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. He was looking ahead just as his forefathers looked ahead. Remember to the fulfillment of that promise from Abraham. They never saw it. He was looking ahead to that promise. Moses too looked ahead and figured it was well worth the cost. Now what in the world does he mean, the writer of Hebrews, when he talks about disgrace for the sake of Christ? I mean... Moses didn't know him, right? Moses didn't know about Christ, did he? He certainly knew there was a promise of a coming deliverer. Well, there's an amazing thought here that the writer inserts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and that is that the disgrace that Moses was going to face was similar to that which Christ endured. You see, the readers of Hebrews knew the story of Moses and what he was willing to give up, and they also knew about Jesus, who was infinitely rich, infinitely privileged, infinitely satisfied in the presence of God, and yet set it all aside to do the will of God, to come down, to suffer at the hands of mankind for the people of God. We, we know that scripture in Philippians 2 well. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Moses was, in that sense, like Christ. There's a number of things. If you go through Moses' life, how it's so parallel with, with, uh, with Christ. Now, I'm going to come back to this concept of Moses and Christ. There's another huge aspect here, but I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But there's one more thing that Moses rejected, and that was the world's pressure. A decision of this sort would reflect a great deal on dad, huh? on the pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. How much pressure would he have gotten? Well, verse 27 says, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. Pharaoh was angry. He was irate. Moses persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Now, let's look at the first part of that verse first. Pharaoh was, was livid, okay? You could, you could imagine all the forces that he uh, could have brought down upon Moses. He had even killed, uh, Moses had even killed an Egyptian over these, these, these horrible Jewish slaves. How dare he do that? And you remember that he fled to Midian. Uh, his own people didn't accept Moses as the deliverer right away, and so he fled to Midian where he stayed for 40 years, another 40 years. When it says that Moses left Egypt, it was more than a simple departure. 
The Greek word can refer to a simple departure, but most commentators have said it means a heart renunciation. The dictionary actually says forsaking or abandoning. It's the same word that Luke uses when when he wrote, they forsook all to follow Jesus. So it has the idea of not, not just simply physically leaving Egypt, but renouncing Egypt. Moses rejected Egypt, he rejected Pharaoh, he rejected the whole lifestyle. Why? Because he persevered, because he saw him who is invisible. Wait, what? (laughs) What, What's that all about? Well, there are a a number of commentators, and I did some searching on on this, that try to talk around this. It just really makes people comfortable, uncomfortable, excuse me, and they say something like, you know, well, Moses saw God's invisible working in his life and, and, and in his direction, and that, that's what Moses saw. But I personally think something else is going on here, particularly when you consider what the previous verse in Hebrews just said. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ, for the sake of Christ, as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. And here it says he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. You know, there's a concept in the theological realms called theophany. Theophany, particularly in the Old Testament, it refers to the appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. A pre-incarnate appearance, appearance before he was actually born as a human, human person. And there are a lot of these. Usually when the Old Testament refers to the angel angel of the Lord, it's referring to Jesus appearing. It's referring to him, the angel, not an angel. Jesus appears to Abraham as one of the three angels to tell him that he was going to have a, a child in his old age. Jesus appears as a man who wrestles Jacob. The angel of the Lord confronted Balaam with a drawn sword in his hand. Remember the story of Elijah? After, after the amazing calling down of the fire from heaven on the sacrifice, and Queen, Queen Jezebel, she vowed to chase him down and, and, and kill him. And in his discouragement, he, he went off in the wilderness and had, uh, had a little pity party for himself. Twice in that passage, the angel of the Lord came to him and prepared food and water for him to strengthen him and encourage him. That was Jesus. Then you remember the still, small voice that he heard? It wasn't in the storm, it wasn't in the lightning, it wasn't in the thunder. Still small voice. That was Jesus. That's the Word of God. John 1 tells us in the beginning it was the Word, and the Word was, was with God, and the Word was God, referring to Jesus. And I believe Jesus appeared to Moses at some point, most likely during his training, perhaps while living in Pharaoh's household for the first time. It doesn't say, it doesn't tell us that, particularly in Genesis, but Hebrew is very clear to, um, and it's very clear to understand if that's what took place. And I say that because we, we made it, uh, he made a choice to reject Egypt and join his people for the sake of Christ, Hebrews tells us. And then again, at the incident of the burning bush, that's 40 years later, after that initial decision of his for Christ, 40 years after being in Midian, when God told Moses, okay, Moses, it's time. And God said from the burning bush, and we read that earlier this morning as well, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush? Scripture says it was the angel of the Lord. 
Jesus spoke to Moses from the burning bush. And so the writer tells us that by faith, Moses persevered because he saw him who is invisible. I believe he saw Jesus, and that's why he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. He knew about Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. My goodness, if you see Christ, nothing else matters. Nothing compares. That's also what what gave Moses the boldness, almost the audacity after those 40 years in Midian to walk right up to Pharaoh's palace, go up to Pharaoh and say, Pharaoh, let my people go. He tells Pharaoh, "You, you better do this or else... It doesn't take long after all, the, after all the plagues and after Pharaoh loses his own firstborn, he lets them go. This is a man of faith. And where did he get this kind of faith? Where did he get this kind of courage and boldness? He saw him who was invisible. He had seen the true king. And therefore, fearless. In the face of all of that, Moses makes the right decision. And you know what's so great? When you might assume that Moses would be a model of the epitome of a legalist, the lawgiver, the law abider, turns out Moses is actually a model of the man who, of faith who believed God's word and was obedient to God's word and therefore was accepted by God. So we've looked at all that Moses rejected by faith. What did he accept by faith? What does true faith accept? Well, The one overarching, the main thing that is accepted is the Word of God. That's what God expects us to accept, even though the fulfillment had not yet been seen. But what does accepting the Word of God entail? I think there's a number of things that the writer of Hebrews shares with us. The first is that faith accepts the Lord's plans. Back in verse 23, we see something interesting here. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now that was when his, Moses' dad and mom, Amran and Jochebed, decided to hide him and float him down the river because of Pharaoh's decree to kill the children. They did that, why? Well, this verse says, because they saw he was a beautiful child. Seriously? Every parent thinks their child is beautiful, right? Most intelligent, most beautiful. No, there are never any ugly babies. Well, the word beautiful is a very, very interesting word here. Not only does it appear here in Exodus concerning baby Moses, but do you remember, again, Stephen, in his preaching, he talks about this beautiful child. Why in the world, when he's about to be stoned, is he talking about this beautiful child, Moses? But he's preaching, and uh, he, he got to talking about Moses and uses very similar language in Greek. In Acts 7.20, at that time, Moses was born, and he was fair in the sight of God. Well, isn't that nice? Stephen said God thought Moses was a handsome baby, too. It's more than that. Theos os taios. It's a godly goodness. He was fair unto God. That's what it's referring to. More the idea that he was, a, he was special in God's sight. It wasn't about his countenance. It wasn't about how, how uh, cute he was looking. It wasn't just that his parents thought that he was a cute baby who wanted to protect him. But they knew that God had his sights on this child. They knew the child was chosen by God, that he was special 
in God's sight, and so they acted. And that's why they acted. That's how faith acts. So it wasn't just Moses, it was his parents, and he was learning that from his parents, but it goes back to Amran and Jochebed who had faith that accepted the plan of God. God's will, God's promises, God's purposes are all tied up in accepting God's plan. That's why we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, Paul tells us in in Romans 12. Why? Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Moses' parents are also models of faith who trusted the plan of God. And in that faith, they taught Moses all the precepts of God as he was growing up, and perhaps even of his calling. And that, and that understanding of the truth uh, of God that, uh, that remained then in his heart, even during the 30 years of his, his training in Egypt. And when the time came, because of what was hidden in his heart, because of the truth, he believed and he acted. And that day that he went out to see his people and he saw that Egyptian uh, beating on, on one of his own, own people, that was the moment it all came together. Exodus 2 verse 11 tells us he, he looked this way and that. So he, he knew what he was about to do was, was not right. But he looked this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. But apparently someone else did see him. And it was reported back to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh set out to kill him. And so he fled, and he, that's why he fled to Midian, where God shaped him into the leader that he wanted him to be. And for those 40 years, he knew he was Israel's deliverer. I'm sure of that. And when the time came, and he had been prepared by God, and then went back, having been commissioned at the burning bush by the angel of the Lord, by Jesus Christ... And in boldness, he walks into Pharaoh's presence, pronounces his divine judgment on him, and calls him to let the people of Israel go. True faith accepts God's plan. Secondly, accepts the Lord's provision. Verse 28, by faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. The last plague, as you know, was the angel of death that was going to kill all the firstborn uh, male children unless the blood of the lamb was smeared on the doorposts and the lintels. Moses did it because he knew that was God's provision for their deliverance. He didn't come up with his own idea. He didn't come up with his own way of trying to uh, protect their own children. He accepted God's provision says, you will be spared, he told the people, if you do this. This is God's plan. He took God at his word. That's what God wants. And then one final thing, by faith he accepted the Lord's promise. Hebrews goes on there in verse 29. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptian tried to do so, they were drowned. Now that is stunning faith. Absolutely stunning faith. A stunning act of faith. Up to two million people following Moses, depending on him with the Egyptian army hot on their trail. And Scripture in Exodus 14 tells us that the the people were terrified and assumed Moses had brought them to their death. They're going to drown in the river or they're going to be killed by the Egyptian behind them. Listen to what Moses says to them in verse 13. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance The Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. 
Be still and know that I am God. That was a lot of faith. He was believing God for this massive miracle. Believing that God was who he said he was. Believing that God would do what he said he was do. James chapter 1 tells us, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. The person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. If you're doubting. Folks, sometimes we get so caught up in trying to make things happen ourselves. Ever done that? I have. And it's easy to forget to stop and to be still and know that He is God. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Coming from Zechariah chapter 4. And God parted the Red Sea. You know that. His people walked across on dry land. You know what's the other thing amazing? It wasn't even muddy. It wasn't even muddy. Then the entire Egyptian, Egyptian army tried and they were all drowned. And interestingly enough, that was a punishment that God promised Abraham about 500 years before. Remember? Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, referring to Egypt, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years, Egypt. But I will punish the nation, the Egyptians. I will punish the nations they serve as slaves. And after the word, they will come out with great possessions. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. God always keeps his promises. The story of Moses, folks, is not the story of the law. It's a story of faith. An amazing, amazing story of faith. Faith makes all the right choices. It rejects what is wrong and accepts God's word at face value. It accepts his plans, it accepts his provisions, and it accepts his promises. Is that where our faith is this morning? Do we choose to bow before God and let God? Father, this morning, I pray that that is where we are this morning. And Father, if there are areas in our lives where we doubt and we, we, we get scared and worried and we try to do things ourselves, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would prick our consciences and, and, and just say very clearly, be still and know I am God. Trust me. And Father, I pray that day by day we will be growing in that trust in you as we see you working and as we take your word at face value and know that you are in charge, you are in control, and you are still God. You are the creator, and there's nothing that the created creatures can do to thwart you. So Father, this morning, it's my prayer that we choose to bow. In Jesus' name, amen.